Which is harder, going to Harvard for undergrad or attending medical school? How does a degree in anthropology help in learning and practicing medicine? What is going on with Utah baby names? Today on Talking Missions and Med Student Life, I interview Alex, a third-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Welcome to another edition of the pod. A great guest today, Alex. Hello. Hi. We were just chatting before we started. Um, so third year. Yes. What kind of doctor are you going to be? I was just telling you I am going to be an ob because... Well, it's always been my dream. Um, Good to follow one's dreams. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of, I've always thought I wanted to be an OB guy, and I actually shadowed here at the university when I was a senior in high school and saw my first live birth. And You got that it, as a senior in high school? Yeah. Wow. And thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. The classic story that my family tells is <laughs> I came home and was like, wow, that was awesome. And my mom was like, what gender was the baby? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. It was just awesome. Um, so yeah, I always thought I wanted to be an OB-GYN and um, my path has kind of always led me through women's health and I got on my rotation the first day and it was kind of just meant to be. So if you were thinking about doing OB-GYN, where would where did you try to place it in your third year? Because you have some choice about how you how you kind of order things. Like when did you do OB-GYN? Yeah, so there's, I guess, a little bit of strategy. I got a lot of advice about where to place this rotation. It's a pretty demanding rotation as far as time and hours, and it was kind of my one that I thought I wanted to do. And a lot of people recommend that you place the rotation of your choice over the Christmas holiday, so it will be split in half. So you have um, three weeks and then the Christmas holiday, and then the next three weeks of your rotation, a total of six weeks. Mm. And it kind of gives you a little time to recover during the Christmas holiday and study if you want to. I personally didn't get any studying done, mm. but it was really nice to have that break because... What were you doing during the break? I was skiing and hanging out with family and friends. Relaxing. Yeah, yeah. I went to North Carolina and hung out there for a bit. And yeah, I, I did <laughs> no studying. But it was really nice because I started on gynecological oncology for my first three weeks and that has a very demanding schedule you're in the or for all hours of the day and so it was nice to have those that christmas vacation to kind of recoup and then i started on the labor and delivery as soon as i got back after the break awesome so if you're thinking about doing it up until this point are you nervous about it the first like were you worried that you weren't going to like it and you'd have to like find another discipline another path oh yeah totally i remember calling my mom actually the day before i started and i was like i feel like i'm going to be sick because i'm so nervous about starting this because mm -hmm. what if i don't you like want to like it i yeah. want to like it so badly mm -hmm. all my research is an ob guide like all my connections are an ob guide all my, you know, volunteering is an OB guide, and I'm not sure if that's the correct way to set it up. I I don't know if I'd advise it myself, but like, because it could have ended up that I hated it. Mm -hmm. But I was very lucky in that the first day, I was like, these are my people. So. <laughs> these are my people. Yeah. yeah, good, good. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it sounds exciting. I mean, um, uh, have you had a baby named after you yet? Because you did such a great job. <laughs> 
helping deliver the baby. Are there are there little baby Alexes out there? <laughs> Alex is a good enough name that can be boys <laughs> and girls. So. No, I haven't had um, any babies named after me, but I have learned a lot of really interesting baby names. Like there's oh, let's talk about that. <laughs> yes. There's this Utah baby name. Yeah, phenomenon. yeah. Let's hear some. Well, for all the people listening, Utah loves to make up names. Like mm-hmm. it's definitely a Utah thing. You take your hand and you just smoosh it on the keyboard, and that's a name. Well, well they like to like <laughs> mix up two different names together and make it a name. Mm-hmm. So I saw two Ray Lins. Mm-hmm. Two Ray Lins in the two weeks that I was on labor and delivery, and that's not a common name. And then Brinley. Mm-hmm. So it's like the combination of two names. Yeah, those were the weird ones. They, um, yeah, they do tend to add different like endings, like Lynn yeah. or Lee, yeah. Ray Lee, Ray Lynn, yeah. Ashley, exactly. Ashlyn, yeah. uh, Braylon, yeah. Ray Lee. Yeah. yeah, and they're all spelled in weird different ways, but that's Utah for you. It's mm-hmm. like makes it a very unique I don't I haven't experienced that like I went to school on the East Coast, and I haven't heard names like that in Boston. It's very unique. Yes. It's very unique. Yes. So, all right, cool. So uh, we were also talking, like, third year. What do you think? Third year is awesome. Why? Um, so I've mentioned that, actually, first and second year were really hard for me. Um, I, I definitely, like, obviously I'm used to being in the classroom, having gone to undergrad, but I felt like the first and second years of medicine – did not kind of put me in the position of being a doctor at all. Like I felt like I was just sitting in a lecture hall learning things that just maybe I learned, maybe went in one year out the other. Um, and then third year came and I absolutely loved it. Um, it was kind of the first moment that I felt like, man, I'm practicing medicine and yeah, like I feel like I'm doing okay at this. Mm -hmm. Whereas first and second year, it's like constant tests and, you may be doing well one day and not the other day and um, felt like interacting with patients, interacting with the residents and attendings was just a completely different world and one that I loved. Like, I genuinely love coming to work every day. It's it's really fun. It's really challenging. I honestly, like, I know a lot of people complain about the hours, but it, it's work, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's like... It's I'm excited to tackle new patients and see how many patients I can hold. I love trying to just like push the limit and mm. hold more patients than I'm expected how to many hold. Patients, what's your record? I mean, so right now on my first week in internal medicine, I'm holding five patients. That's really good. So yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm happy with myself. Yeah. Um, they're medically complicated. Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> medically complicated. Um, so yeah, it's been really fun and yeah, I like interacting with patients. I have a background in anthropology, so just like. Getting to know patients, getting to know their cultural and social backgrounds has just been really, really fun and interesting for me. I've seen you a couple of times around the hospital, and you, you're right. You do have a big grin. You look much happier <laughs> uh, during this year. Yeah. Do you think there's anything that could have, like, the, the med school could have done differently during the first two years? Or or is just kind of just kind of this natural passage, this rite of passage that first two years, more classroom-based, last two years, more hospital-based? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I feel like some of my favorite activities in first and second year were when we went with our clinical learning skills class to the hospital mm-hmm. and we got to interview patients. And That, that was me, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was you. I went with you, Dr. Tan. I, I, I remember. Yeah, you were always very nervous about because like, there were strict time limits. And I remember yeah. that you didn't like the time limits. No, because I want to talk to the patients. Yeah, I know. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's rough because it's part of the... You know, it gets you ready for the OSCE, yeah. and the OSCEs have time limits. Yeah. I remember telling you, like, in a normal clinical environment, yeah. you would have 
much more time to kind of do what you need to do. And that has turned out as true. Um, But yeah, I would say like if there was anything that I could add to the first and second year is having more experiencing experiences like that, because I think I unfortunately got just a little lost in all the tests and all the evaluations in first and second year. They're completely necessary. Mm -hmm. Like you need to do those things to be able to, you know, learn medicine, study for step one. But I think maybe having a little more patient, like actual patient experience in the hospital in here and there would serve as almost like a helpful reminder. This is what you're going to be doing. These are the sort of people you're going to interact with. And also patients in the hospital are so much more medically complex yeah, than our yeah. patients in OSCEs. And yeah, standardized patients tend to just kind of give yeah. you information and, and it gives regular you a, patients, <laughs> you need to really work at it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and it yeah. gives you a little bit more perspective, so I guess that would be one change mm-hmm. I could see. Okay. Yeah. Cool, very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it sounds like you kind of know what direction you're heading, uh, but let's talk about like the beginning. So for the people who are, are thinking about applying to med school or are in the middle of applying to med school, what advice would you give? What would you tell them? Because you, you must get asked this from time to time. Oh, man. Yeah, so I uh, kind of took a different track to mm-hmm. getting into medicine than most people um, just to help kind of set the stage for my advice. Um, I actually started as an archaeology major. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the female version of Indiana Jones and kind of went from there to not liking digging up dead bodies to wanting to work with alive bodies. So was an anthropology major. Now you get to deliver baby bodies. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Exactly. So I actually kind of didn't take the typical route of like doing a biology or a chemistry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it actually made me a unique candidate. This is not advice saying like, go find the most unique, like undergrad major. You can like find something you're interested in. Mm -hmm. But I like, I really think it's important for, you know, undergrads, people who are thinking of applying to medicine to embrace what they actually like to do. Um, And they'll get into medicine either way. Like, I really think that is true. Um, I have a really good friend who was an English lit major um, and she's going to be a wonderful doctor. Um, So I think, you know, going with what you're passionate with in undergrad and taking advantage of those unique undergrad activities is really important because then you can go into your medical school interviews Mm -hmm. and really ace them because I could talk about anthropology all day and how it applies to medicine. I remember that. You did very well, very well in your interviews. Didn't, did you, you did some type of gap year, if I recall. You moved to L.A., March yeah. of Dimes, right? Yeah, I worked with I March of Dimes. I remember this. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Go yeah, ahead. so I worked with March of Dimes. That was an interesting year. So for those who don't know, March of Dimes is a nonprofit organization, and they um, provide money and research. I was working on the research side mm-hmm. on how to prevent um, premature births. So that was kind of my connection to women's health and OB-GYN. And, um, so, yeah, I worked in L.A. for a year with them. And it definitely persuaded me that I didn't want to work in nonprofit because it's really, really hard work. It's mm-hmm. they gosh, the work they do is amazing. Um, but it did get me kind of like a step closer to figuring out, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to just be involved in, you know, patients lives through kind of like this research standpoint and raising money for them and advocating for them standpoint. I actually want to be at the bedside with them and, you know, like interact with them on a day-to-day basis. Cause I think working in this kind of healthcare nonprofit was not close enough to the patient for mm-hmm. me. So, yeah. Very cool. All right. Need to ask, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> so, uh, I know your classmates love asking you this. So where'd you go to undergrad? Uh, so I went to Harvard university. Harvard in Boston. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about it. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I went to Stanford. I hear like Harvard, Stanford of the East, correct? 
Yes. Yes. So um, what was it like? Because uh, like, you grew up in Utah, yeah. right? What was it like to go from Utah out to Boston? What, what was that jump like? What was your experience like? It was really difficult okay. <laughs> um, at first. Uh, so I actually ended up going to Harvard a little earlier than Harvard actually started because I was on the soccer team. Mm -hmm. So I had preseason soccer. So that was actually my first kind of like intro to Harvard. Um, and it was actually really hard. It was like playing soccer all day and trying to figure out who my friends were. Luckily, it was like a full team of new friends that I could make friends yeah, don't, with. I, I assume the team, your teammates became your close friends, yeah. right? Okay. Well, yeah, like I'm, I'm still good friends with some of my teammates, but it was actually people outside of the team that I got to be, be better friends with. Um, but are we talking like homesickness kind of hardness? Yeah, it was really hard. Um, the culture back in Boston is definitely different. Um, I think a lot of people would agree with me. East coasters tend to be a little cold on the exterior, but once you get to know them, they're wonderful. But it was like, it's like French bread, hard yeah. on the outside, soft inside. Yeah, exactly. Like I just remember, like, I guess a good comparison is, so I love hiking and being outdoors. And whenever I'm hiking in Utah, I'm always like, hi to everyone that I see. Like mm -hmm. anyone on the trail, you say hi to you, you'll like talk to them for, for a little bit. Whereas like, I remember going for a hike for the first time on the East Coast and I like walked past someone and was like, hi. Mm -hmm. And they didn't say anything back okay. to me. And so like, that's a, like a good comparison to kind of how that, you know, mentality is on the East Coast. But at the same time, like once I finally started school, and wasn't playing soccer all the time, I was actually way happier when general classes started. And I had classes with people just from all over the world and all different situations of life. Um, my next door neighbor, so the person living in the room next to me, uh, is a guy, was a guy from Ethiopia, and I'm still really good friends with him. His name is Caduce. You put a little Caduce in his name, click okay. in his name. It was his first time seeing snow in Boston. Like, mm -hmm. that is how, like, cool, you know, you get to meet people from all different walks of life and become friends with them. And so once I finally, like, met all these different people, it was very easy. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there's kind of this perception on the outside, but, uh, you know, very intense, hardworking, yeah. maybe a little stuffy, but <laughs> on the inside, totally normal. Yeah, I mean, I would... Totally doable. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't say I was, like, the smartest person at Harvard in any way, sense, or form, but... Actually, I was going to say that later in the pod, <laughs> so thanks for bringing that up, Alex. But... I, I, I pulled your file. We have your IQ score. We have, we've got your MCAT and GPA. It's quite impressive, so... Yeah, uh, but actually, I feel like there's so many... Everyone at Harvard has a different interest, and everyone has something that makes them special. Mm -hmm. um, that was always my, actually, my favorite question to ask is, like... How do you think you got here? Because it's not like they don't they they recruit people who have like good GPAs and good like ACT and SAT scores, but it's like it's the little extra thing mm -hmm. that they grab a person for. And kind of so, like med school, yeah, exactly. And so like everyone is actually super approachable because they're interested in learning about everyone else's lives. And you know, once you find kind of your niche and what you're good at, like I found I was good at humanities and writing papers and learning about culture. Mm -hmm. Actually, it wasn't like like, I wouldn't say it was, like, as rigorous as you would imagine Harvard to be, if that okay. makes sense. Uh, is it true or false? Natalie Portman was your roommate. <laughs> I wish. <Okay. laughs> that would be so cool. Huh? No, she was not my roommate. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I need to get that. Remote, there's, a, there's always that rumor in med school that you and Natalie Portman are BFFs. So, all right. Um, another great question I'd like to ask. So, harder. What was more difficult or more hard? 
uh, Harvard undergrad or medical school? Medical school, hands what? down. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh. Why? I'm trying to think. Uh, I think because you took your pre-med recs back there, right? Yeah, I took yeah. my pre. So you were you were you were, you were in the middle Harvard. of it, you know, biology, chemistry, physics. Those are pretty intense classes. Yeah, yeah, I think at Harvard you still had that time to kind of like. I still feel like the classes weren't as rigorous that you kind of like didn't have time to do a lot of the things you used to do. I think when I started med school, I realized that this stuff is hard. There's a lot of information to learn Mm -hmm. so much information. I think a lot of people like to use like the fire hose comparison. It's just like getting a fire hose shot in your mouth and you can't swallow all the water. And I don't feel like I ever felt that overwhelmed at Harvard. Like I had my classes, but I was still able to, you know, do extracurricular activities every single day. Whereas I think in medical school, I immediately felt like to keep up with all the information that I was receiving, I had to be studying all the time. And, you you know, I'm the sort of person that likes to be outside and likes to spend time with my family and to have those things narrowed down a bit. You totally still have time for that sort of stuff, but to have those things narrowed and Mm -hmm. to have very little time for any sort of situation that comes up outside of medicine, it was really hard to deal with at first. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's. I I did I did not imagine how hard it was going to be. Like I knew it was going to be hard, but it's it's a, the first two years of medical school are quite difficult. Pretty intense. Yeah, a lot of material. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I agree with you, Alex. I think it's it's a different pace. If it's, it's a different style, uh, because even not, you remember, I remember as an undergrad, like yeah, you you have some really cool people, but you know, yeah, there, there's a little bit more balance, mm-hmm. right? But then all of a sudden, you're medical school, and then you're cream of the crop, cream of the cream of the cream of the crop. And people are very focused and there's so much material to get through and there's all these tests and assessments. So yeah, it can get, it can get overwhelming. I like that word you used. So I also just, I had a hard time in this, as, as you know, Dr. Chan, I don't like talking about the fact that I went to Harvard a whole I know, lot. I know, um, I know that. Yeah. And I felt, I think a lot of the pressure that I put on myself was the fact that I went to Harvard. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to medical school, I was like, I went to Harvard. I should be able to do this. No, it's like I was honestly like on, you know, I was on level or probably below like a lot of my classmates who had taken more sciencey classes. And so it was a it was a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I it. Yeah, it's difficult, um, but it's doable. Yeah, I was the exact same way. I was more of a humanities guy in undergrad yeah. and then coming here. You know, I can hold my own in chemistry and physics, but that, that, that was not my wheelhouse. That was not my yeah. forte. Yeah. So, yeah, then, you know, being with a bunch of peers who did have hard science backgrounds, yeah. it, can, it can be intimidating. Oh, times. totally. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Uh, last few minutes. Uh, let's focus on the future. So you were talking about doing some away rotations. Why? And what are those for people who may not know? Yeah. So um, in our fourth year of medical school, we do more kind of rotations, but it's generally in the area that you're thinking of going into. So OB-GYN, what kind of rotations would those look like? So they'd be like more specific kind of like they'd be more speciality based rotations. So I could do a rotation in gynecological oncology. I or could maternal do, fetal medicine. Yeah, or yeah. urogyn or pelvic surgery or high risk OB. Okay. Um, so you have a lot of opportunity to really explore your own specialty that you're choosing. Um, and most people do them at their, you know, ho- their home school. Um, 
various people decide to do away rotations for personal reasons. Um, a lot of people decide to do array rotations because their specialty is really competitive. Mm -hmm. So people who are going to like orthopedics or ophthalmology might do in a way because it helps make them more competitive. It's like an addition. It's an addition. Yeah. My reason is a little different. Um, uh, my significant other lives in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so I would be what you call geography restricted. Um, when it comes to the match. When it comes to the match. Yeah. I highly desire to be in the Bay Area um, because, you know, while, you know, getting into a good residency is super important to me, my outside life is also very important and mm-hmm. I want to live in the same mm-hmm. city. Um, so I'm applying to some away rotations at other institutions there. And essentially you do like a month at a time and you work there. You said apply. So there's a chance they won't grant you it yeah, or do you have to pay? Like, how is that set up? Yeah, it's so. a little bit terrifying. Um, so you have to uh, pay for an application f- uh, application free fee. It's usually like 50 to a hundred dollars to apply. Mm-hmm. You have to apply for a specific date. You can apply to multiple dates if you want to give yourself a better chance. And then if they accept you, there is like a tuition fee. So, for example, one of the schools in San Francisco costs like $300 mm-hmm. to do a month rotation. For you there. to grace them with yeah. your presence, and to walk among these halls. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it, it, the harder thing for most people, actually, and I'm lucky because my boyfriend lives in San Francisco, so I can live with him, mm-hmm. is you have to also find your own housing. Wow. Um, so it's, it's a really difficult process. And as you mentioned, you might not be accepted. Um, or they may accept you at a different date, which creates chaos in your fourth year. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit chaotic. Um, so you end up just applying to things at your home institution. Mm -hmm. And then if you get into the away residency, you can drop those. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of set. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. I, I'm kind of in the whole process of applying and figuring out where I want to apply, but it'll be a really good opportunity to see, you know, how different hospitals work. It'll be a great opportunity. Different cultures. Yeah, different yeah. cultures. Mm-hmm. Like different electronic medical records. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my least favorite part. Where, where do I find the vital signs? Oh, oh yeah. it's on that clipboard over there. Exactly. Well, that's not very technologically progressive. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, and then it kind of gets you... Your, your foot in the door at mm-hmm. that institution, um, especially if they're like maybe a competitive institution. You know, from what I am told, though, you need to be performing at your best at these away rotations oh, yeah, because it is it is your interview. Every day almost. you have to be on. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you, you don't go into an away rotation lightly. You want to make sure that you are completely prepared and every second of every minute of every day, like is going into that rotation because it is your interview pretty much. And Mm -hmm. if they like you, it helps you along the way. But Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there's a lot of pressure going into it, but it's also really exciting. Okay. Last few minutes, Alex. Uh, So with your significant other, your boyfriend in California, long distance relationships. (laughs) What are some tips for survival for people out there who might be entering similar territory? Yeah. Um, so I'm you guys have been apart for the entire med I've been, I'm a pro at this. So by the time I graduate med school, it will have been five years that we live in different states. Wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I, I think I'm very lucky in the fact that my boyfriend is really supportive. I think finding someone who's supportive of your education and also interested in your education, like, you know, I think being interested in each other's professions is super important. So just Mm -hmm. continually asking them what's going on in their job and hopefully they'll reciprocate. I've been really lucky in that he like wants to watch Grey's Anatomy to understand my medical career. I don't think it's super accurate. It's not very reflective. But but it's cute. Okay. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> so he's trying to understand yeah, he's you. He's trying to yeah. understand. But I think just like constant communication and setting expectations, like we're we try to be good at, you know, I tell him way ahead of time, you know, this rotation is going to require this amount of work out of me. I don't know how many weekends I'll be able to see you mm-hmm. in the next couple months. Do you alternate? Like you fly out there, he flies out here? Or? In the first two years, we alternated a lot. This year, because rotations are just... You know, I may get a day off at a time. Yeah. It generally comes here. Okay. Um, so I'm very lucky. Like, it, I think half the reason my relationship works is because I have a very, very supportive significant other. But I think just keeping the communication alive, keeping expectations, you know, just realistic. Like, you're not going to like you're not going to be able to see each other every other weekend. It's just it's just impossible. Mm-hmm. Um and um so do you use skype a lot or facetime yeah or, uh, we facetime every night okay um and yeah we're really good at communicating um and just being supportive of each other because mm-hmm. i think one thing that i have to be really cognizant of is yeah i'm going through a lot of really difficult things um and i think a lot of medical students like to do this they like to say I got up at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. and I'm only leaving at 7 and my life is so hard. And 14-hour mm-hmm. days. I think yeah. we like to play the victim. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think we do have a little bit of a right. We work really hard. But at the same time, like, playing the victim with your significant other, I can imagine on that other end, that must be really draining. Yeah. Uh, and it goes back to uh, using guilt. Exactly. Guilt as a weapon, which exactly. is not a healthy thing to do in relationships. Exactly. So, so I yeah. try really hard. Like, obviously, I will tell him if I'm stressed out. But I would say to, like, keep a healthy, long-distance relationship, you know, trying to... And I think this actually applies to any relationship mm-hmm. where your I just think there's special challenges medicine. with geographic separation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just keeping the communication intact mm-hmm. is so important. It's all about the communication. Yeah. It's all about the communication. Yeah. So, um, and just had one question. You mentioned Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> do you watch, do you watch to understand him? Like that HBO series, Silicon Valley? Oh yeah, I do. Because he's a software engineer. <laughs> I do. Or, or, uh. The intern. Big Bang Theory or. <laughs> so no, they have, I don't watch Big Bang. I okay. did watch Silicon Valley, but they do have that one movie, The Intern, where about it's Google. like those two older guys so your boyfriend works at google can we say that yeah he works at google if we can get google maybe sponsor the pod or buy sandwiches (laughs) let me let me just i love google he actually Uh, works at youtube so even better oh even better yeah youtube (laughs) go to our youtube clips yeah so um yeah so i love to like try and learn about what he does and so again i don't know this i'm like it's dangerous in an interview to ask questions you don't know the answers to i'm curious so Again, there's this perception, especially with the bigger companies in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Does he get like free smoothie bars and oh, people yeah. going around, giving him back massages it's obnoxious. and go like, oh, can I go get your dry cleaning, sir? I mean, do they have all these free services? Yeah. He has like. So he works in a place just like that. Yeah. He has. It's I like, am very envious. It's Good. beautiful. It's like a college campus and like there's snack bars and free, just like free food. And there's like these little nap pods. And Th- that's actually a thing. That's actually a thing. Although he's way too serious to go. Can people actually take naps in those? Yeah. They can okay. take naps the thing that was the funniest and this just shows how serious my boyfriend is he his desk was next to the slide for the first two years that he, like a uh, slide like a, that went down like a, multiple, full, yeah. like a children's slide yeah children's slide that went like from the like top le- level of google all the way to the bottom would people write it yeah and people like wrote it instead of using the oh stairs my goodness. oh my goodness that just blows my mind <laughs> 
Alex, you need to take these ideas, <laughs> and when you're interviewing for your OBGYN residency, you need to pitch oh, them. Oh, totally. It's <laughs> so like, like, what can you bring to the program? Like, we should have slides, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, babies slide out of moms, yep. residents slide down the hallway, we'll just have slides everywhere. So, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited for you. This is Thank this you. is great, and we'll have to have you come back on the pod. Awesome. Um, maybe after the match next year to hear how, yeah. it, how it turned out. I so. would love to. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Alex. Chan. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.